You're listening to the Bitcoin and Markets Podcast. Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets, the 24th of January, 2017. This is episode 32. I'm going to jump right into a market update uh, for you guys because there has been a lot of uh, price action over the last um, week or even two weeks. So, okay, um, Bitstamp is sitting right at 900. OKCoin okay, is sitting at 62.71 yuan. Now, um, I was watching the markets really closely last night because uh, I'm putting this out on the 24th. On the 24th of January, um, the Chinese exchanges stopped their fake volume, basically. And um, so a lot of people were watching what's going to happen to the price. It has been pretty stable. I mean, it shot up like $40 right at the uh, crunch time hour. Uh, shot up $40, but it has, it has come back down and... It's pretty stable right now. It looks like a little bit droopy. It could fall, but um, I think it's a good sign for the future. We'll see. Uh, there has been a mempool attack uh, in the la last 24 hours. So lots of people. Well, I don't know if it's even an attack. I mean, if I'm withdrawing my coins from the Chinese exchanges, it's going to have a lot of volume and they might be pumping out um, withdrawals and it clogs up the network. So I don't know if it's attack. It's probably a little bit of attack. It's probably a little bit of OKCoin okay and uh, Hubi and BTCC uh, people withdrawing their funds. But anyways, um, if that continues over the next couple days, we could see a price decline here. But I'll get into that more a little bit later. I talk about the hash rate and some of those things. Okay, local Bitcoin's volume did hit a new uh, all-time high last week uh, at something like 21 million uh, dollars worth of volume uh, over that week but the most current week was 17 million so we are still trending up and if you look at the chart um, that i linked to in the show notes here for uh, local bitcoins volume it is pretty i mean it's bullish for sure it continues to go up okay network volume uh, for i think this is 24 hours was 100 million dollars worth of bitcoin transacted the difficulty estimate for the next change is another 14% increase. I do talk about that later, so um, just suffice it to say right now that we had a 16% jump last time. And right now we're on, on track for another 14% increase. That means that we will have grown the network 100% in about three months. That is insane. We haven't seen anything like that for a while. Uh, okay, Segwit sitting at 24%. Um, I'm, I'm not concerned, but I am surprised that it's still at 24%. I was wrong. I said that I thought it was going to go quickly. Um, within three to six months, we were going to be uh, activating Segwit. It doesn't look like that anymore. Um, it is still possible if we... Um, you know, have a large mempool for a while, and then the it, the users, the price starts going down, and, and the miners get 
all antsy. And so then they're going to activate SegWit because they want to clear out that mempool. They want to get more investors in. They want this uh, whole thing to scale. And they will see that when the price goes down. So unfortunately, this probably going to entail a pri the price going down um, maybe slowly now over the next couple months. We could see consolidation and maybe a downward trend, 10, 20% down. Um, get those miners kind of scared, right? All right. Um, and finally, we have the Bitcoin Unlimited percentage is 17%. I think I'm going to take that off because that's not going anywhere. It's it's not going to get fucking adopted. Uh, and the worst they can do is hard fork with 20%. I don't think, I, I don't I don't see, I mean, again, I have been wrong on this too. I've been wrong on the SegWit Unlimited thing. I thought SegWit was going to go really, very, really fast. I thought Unlimited was going to slowly die. Uh, Unlimited has had some more staying power than I've uh, anticipated. And uh, SegWit has not gotten kicked in the ass by the lower prices yet. So um, that has not had, there has been no incentive for miners to upgrade. Okay, that's it for the market update. Now let's hit some admin notes. Um, I am starting a Patreon page. I link it in the show notes here. Um I am moving some of the content from this show uh, onto Patreon. I'm going to be expanding it. So uh, I'm going to keep the bits and pieces on this free show. Free to download, free to find, all that. But for the Patreon stuff, I'm going to move all of the more in-depth uh, kind of talk over there. So Altcoinville, uh, Featured Article, Flashpoint, that stuff will be going onto Patreon. That's that's my plan at this point. Um, I also have some really cool ideas for that. Um, for my patrons, you know, um, not only will they have access to this uh, Patreon-only content, but they'll have uh, a message board where they can talk to just uh, patrons of the show. And myself, so they can ask me questions. I'll be doing Q&A episodes from questions that I get on Patreon. Um, also, I have some, I was telling my friend about this the other day where I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing Patreon. And um, they, one of the ideas I had that I was telling him about was watching the markets like during these times. Like last night when uh, I'm sitting there just ready to go watching the charts to see what happens uh, with this whole uh, OK coin or the whole Chinese volume stuff that was happening last night. Um, I think that'd be fun to watch live with my patrons, you know, maybe do a, a hangout, get a couple, a couple friends in there um, and also uh, have like, you know, answer questions, talk with the people on the chat. I think that'd be pretty fun. And I have a bunch of ideas like that. So I have three levels for my patrons. Just the dollar level, that'll give you access to everything. A dollar a month. Then I have the five dollars a month, which the five dollars, what that gets you is kind of the right to vote on certain things. Uh, my idea for how to use the money, um, if once I get to five hundred dollars per month, then I will be donating 20 or sorry, 10% of that to the Bitcoin space to like struggling volunteer projects. Maybe I'll go on to GitHub and look for some cool projects that I think that might be awesome or something that I read about a wallet that I like, um, whatever. 
I will be looking for those things and asking my $5 patrons to vote on those things, at least to uh, nominate candidates and, uh, you know, figure that out with them. I want the $5 members to be like a little bit more control, a little bit more feel ownership of the show a little bit more. And then we have the $50 level, and that is going to be kind of more professional where I, uh, you know, mention you on the show, but I also uh, give you some backlinks, link you in the, the show notes uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, everywhere that the show notes go. Uh, so that's kind of a good deal for you if you want to, maybe you're doing, you're pro- do, producing content and you want to get those links out there to my patrons and my listeners and stuff, then you can go, go do that. Um, so yeah, that is my idea. Uh, that should be coming out here. So Patreon is out. Um, I should be starting to do the Patreon only stuff on the next episode. Uh, also, we have, um, I have an idea to do a YouTube channel that could be coming in the next couple months. I've been kind of keeping it hush hush, just talking to a few people that I trust, um, to give me some feedback on my ideas for that. It's basically just going to be a market update show. And, uh, like I did just now with the, the market update, I'll be doing that for five minutes every morning, uh, and posting that to YouTube. Um, and, you know, have a walk you through some charts, maybe real quick or something. And that's it. So. Check out my Patreon page. Subscribe. That would be awesome. I love uh, the support. I love all the donations that I've gotten so far. You know, those donations make me uh, feel, <laughs> I want to say feel loved. Oh, I can feel the love. It, it makes me feel appreciated, and that's great. I mean, I would do the show regardless, but it's nice when you have people that appreciate what you do, and they, they throw you a couple bucks. That's great. So uh, thank you for everyone who donated so far. Uh, check out the Patreon page and hopefully we can make some stuff happen. Enough, <laughs> enough of advertising the show. Let's go into the main content. Bits and pieces. Coinbase story here from Coindesk. Fred S. Uh, how do you even say it? Airsom. Fred Airsom, one of the co-founders. He is leaving for new quote-unquote new startup opportunities. Um, one of the big things out of this article that hit me was this line here. Um, it's a uh, quote. Airsom said the move had been discussed for some time and that over time he expects more employees will likely leave Coinbase for new ventures. And remember there was this one of their tech guys, I think, uh, for last year, one of their high up, um, maybe he was a tech lead or something. He left Coinbase to start his own <laughs> high frequency trading company, something like that. So this is the second major uh, exit from Coinbase. So what's going on here? More people to come? What's happening? Is Coinbase in trouble? A lot of us uh, in the Bitcoin space have been speculating that Coinbase has been in trouble for a while. That's why they open GDAX. They split that off from the main company, right? So Coinbase, I don't think technically um, encompasses the GDAX anymore. Um, so we'll see. I think that this is a prelude to acquisition. 
And, you know, I am a layman at this type of world. Um, the VC world, the acquisition world, you know, the IPO world. I know the basics of how it works and I know the basics of how economics works. And I think I'm a good read of people. Uh, but these, these VCs, when VCs invest, and I've said this on the show before, when VCs invest, they want exits, right? They want to invest today, wait three years and get 10x on their money. And so then that means that nine out of 10 or eight out of 10 of their investments can fail. They might even want a hundred X return on their money. And then that means that most of their investments can fail. So anyway, I think these VCs have been backing Coinbase for three years and they're ready to exit. And an IPO is not in the near future for Coinbase. So I think that an acquisition makes common sense. So who would acquire them? Uh, I think it could be PayPal. It could also be Visa or maybe like Western Union or MasterCard, something like that. But I think PayPal is the, the biggest one. Uh, they are bigger than Western Union. They also, um, are in very big trouble with Bitcoin. Western Union, I'm just writing off. They don't have a future. They will be dead within five years. Okay, I'm writing them off. PayPal, I think, has a little bit longer future. They have a few unique kind of characteristics. Uh, but they are being competed against now by like Chase Bank with their app. Uh, uh, all sorts of these innovations quote-unquote innovations in the app world from the banks and even like visa they're going to compete against paypal paypal has no uh, unique value proposition right now and they've dabbled in bitcoin with uh, braintree which is a company they acquired and they do paint they do payments kind of like square and all this stuff um so they acquired them braintree one of their big selling points was they were into bitcoin or they we're integrating Bitcoin. PayPal has Wences Cesaris on their board, the CEO of Zappo, Bitcoin company. So PayPal is acutely aware of Bitcoin because Bitcoin's going to take a lot of their market. And what Bitcoin doesn't take, Chase Bank is going to take or uh, the, the banks. So where does this leave them? Well, they got to go one direction or the other. They got to go either more towards banking or they have to go more towards Bitcoin. And I got in this argument a while ago on Reddit saying that PayPal is in trouble. They, they're, they are not growing anymore. And they even acquired Venmo and Braintree and they had some other high level things. They split off from eBay, which is important, but, uh, they, you know, they're in, they're in big time trouble. Now Coinbase has split off from GDAX. And that just seems like a great fit for PayPal. Now all of these people are leaving, including one of the co-founders of Coinbase with, quote, he expects more employees will likely leave Coinbase for new ventures. So everybody seems to be leaving. VCs want exits. I don't know. It's just to me, it all adds up. And I think that this signals Coinbase will be acquired in 2017, but we will see. Bitcoin, 
what what you guys are listening to is a Japanese Bitcoin commercial by Bitflyer. I think it's the most watched Bitcoin video on the planet. And they have three similar ones on their YouTube channel, each with over a million views. 100% in Japanese. Japanese title, Japanese lyrics, everything Japanese. I mean, it's targeted specifically at that, um, the Japanese market, not the world market or anything like that. And, um, this goes, to, this confirms what I've been saying is Japan is growing in influence in the Bitcoin space. We talk a lot about China with the mining and the trading, but we don't really talk about Japan very much. But the Japanese yen volume recently surpassed the USD trading volume for Bitcoin. So I'm watching this uh, closely, this growing influence of Japan. And, um, you know, also kind of, I don't know how this would look, but keeping a eye out for like Japanese culture that might be coming into Bitcoin culture. I don't know what that would look like or anything, but I am. Maybe we'll know it when we see it. Anyway, these, these videos are really fun. Check them out on YouTube. <laughs> They're definitely worth a watch. Everybody's aware of PBOC coming in and putting a clamp down on this on margin trading uh, for spot in the Chinese exchanges. Um, there is a lot of talk now around fake volume numbers, how this is going to affect Bitcoin price. How is it going to affect the Bitcoin market in general with liquidity and all these other things? I mean, th we're talking about it like it's a new problem, but it's not. It's been around for years, basically since the start of Chinese exchanges over there. Um, this is a good thing, in my opinion. More transparency can only um, increase the effectiveness of the market to set prices, right? Price discovery. So I think that this is a good thing. Also, it's it makes it more difficult to short it. Because if you're shorting it, you basically have to just sell it. You have to sell your position. Um and or sh just buy or sell what you own. You can't uh you know, notionally buy a bunch of bitcoins and sell them short, naked shorting. So I think this will stabilize the price in, in the near term and especially in the long term as we go forward. By stabilize, I mean slowly go up. <laughs> we will have f less dramatic uh, moonshots and less dramatic corrections. But one one thing that does kind of concern me is people that were trading spot margin on these more robust Chinese exchanges, they might move to newer fly-by-night, less robust exchanges. So be watching out for that and... Don't do it. If, if you are one of these people that, that want to go to another exchange, you know, pick, there's, there's a few out there already. So pick some more, um, uh, you know, older exchanges in the space that you can trust. Another aspect to this is like fee structure. So right now they have zero fees, but even BTCC has said that they're looking at doing trading fees, trying to become more in line with like a standard exchange. And the volume is going to be drastically cut. The volume already is drastically cut if you look at the, the charts. The, I'm, I want to play you a clip from March of 2014 at a coin summit where Bobby Lee is talking with Dan Moorhead of Pantera Capital. And they are discussing this fake Chinese volume back then. It's an old problem that goes back to the last all-time high and everything. So uh, just for all the noobs out there, they're in, in you know, being exposed to this China stuff for the first time, it's not new. 
what's new is that they're going to crack down on this fake volume. So here you go. It's four minute clip. Let's start it. Sure. We, we've done a lot of work trying to study the volume reported by Chinese exchanges over the last six or eight months, and it's not obvious that all of it's totally true. We think uh, Bobby's firm fr- publishes uh, realistic figures, but some of the other exchanges publish uh, just insane volumes where you can see the price ticking one, you know, one cent back and forth for a thousand back and forth for uh, hundreds of trades in a row, which is, you know, it's theoretically possible. But it's a billion to one that that actually is what's going on. So, um, Bobby, what do you think about getting more transparency in, in uh, the exchange space, and in particular in China, where there's probably the least? Yeah, this, this is a really tough issue. I don't know how, much, how many of you know about this problem happening in China right now. Uh, competition is very stiff. We have a lot of competitors and exchanges doing, a lot of companies doing exchanges in China. But the reality is all of them engage in this deceptive marketing of their trading volume. It's really, really frustrating. Uh, part of it has to, be, be, uh, to do with culture in terms of crossing the ethical boundary. They think, you know, Unfortunately, I'm not proud of this, but unfortunately in China, they think that it's okay to do it if everyone else is doing it. What I'm referring to is the, the boasting, the, uh, the bragging of the training volumes. And just to give a quick uh, 101 on how to do that, um, I've studied this in detail, so I could, I could give a lecture on this. But <clears throat> essentially, uh, there's, there's three things they could do to, to sort of show fake volume and fake liquidity. Number one is you just wear heels, the way they say they wear heels, and you just pad your numbers by 10,000 to 20,000 bitcoins a day. And the easiest way to catch that, and this is the easiest catch, is you just look at one exchange, look at their data feed, how many transactions go through, and over the course of a 24-hour period, you see like 1,200 bitcoins got exchanged. And then on some of the sites, they'll say 21,200 bitcoins. They just pad it by 20,000. So that way, on that exchange, every day, the, the, the volume is like 21,000, 22,000, 20,000, 25,000. It's always over 20,000. So... This is like really simple. And yet, some of the data feed providers still allow that. I don't know why they do that. So the second way is actually more complex. This is where it's harder to detect. What they do is, in between every trade, so, so remember, trades happen 24 hours a day, but they don't have, happen every millisecond, right? They, sometimes they're a few milliseconds apart, a few seconds apart. And sometimes the data feed is slightly delayed by a few seconds. So what they do is, in between two trades, they'll say, oh, let me insert an order. Let me sell from my left hand to my right hand at, at whatever price. And then again, you know, if there's no activity, I'll sell from my right hand to my left hand. And then they've gone smart, and what they do now is they used to be just random numbers, and then it would just be like this very even trade volume. And then they're like, oh, that's too easy to tell. So what they do now is um, they, they ramp up the left-hand to right-hand trade. You can ramp up the volume based on a real trade. So if a real trade comes in for 10 bitcoins at this price, maybe 7 minutes later or 12 minutes later or 15 seconds later, they do a fraction of that amount and then do, do it multiple times. So that way, the fake volumes go up and down with the real volume, but it's like a magnified version of it. And we've seen magnification of anywhere from 10 times to 100 times. Sorry, 10 times to 20 times. So this is really, really bad. I think it's, it's bad transparency. It's just really frustrating. And uh, we're, you know, there's media that has done exposés on this, but the reality is people are still not up to speed on this. And how can you trust an exchange that lies about that kind of stuff? So that's very frustrating. And the third thing is about phantom liquidity. So you know about order books where bid and ask prices go up sort of in a V-shape? Uh, a phantom order is where they have orders in there pretending they're willing to buy or sell at a certain price, but when the price moves, the orders disappear. So if you want to buy 100 bitcoins, if you place an order, market order right now, you could say, I could buy the 100 bitcoins by this price. But if there are phantom orders in there, what you do is you place a market order, boom, your order gets executed at a much higher price because there's no liquidity. So we've seen flash crashes on our competitors' exchanges in China. I won't name them. You know who they are. Uh, you know, for example, we, we, we did Litecoin trading uh, recently, and in one exchange, the Litecoin trading went from 90 <clears throat> RMB, this is Chinese yuan, from 90 RMB went down to 1 RMB. And what does that show? It's, it's all phantom orders in there. And then someone did a sell, and poof, it went to 1 RMB. 
So it was, uh, and then we've seen Bitcoin prices go down 30% because of phantom orders. So uh, this is, it's uniquely, well, I don't know if it's a uniquely Chinese problem, but it's, it's prevalent in the China market. And, you know, it's, it's very, very complex situation there. So an update to this Chinese uh, exchange story. Uh, I recorded that the other day, so um, there's some new information out. They will be going back to fees or instituting fees on all the major, the three major ones, who, uh, OKCoin, Huboy, and BTCC. Uh, it's going to be 0.2%, I think, for a taker fee, and that's about the industry standard. I think this is good. Again, this is good. This is not, uh, a, this hasn't spooked the markets. We'll see. It's going to go, be going live uh, on the 24th of January. Uh, I'm recording this on the 23rd, so we'll see how the market reacts tonight. But, um, yeah, I think this is going to end up being positive and hopefully we'll see some nice, steady gains. Um, I, I think the PBOC is all out of ammo for the time being, and um, I'm not worried about the Chinese exchanges. I'm more worried about like Coinbase, right? The the or Kraken, the U.S. based exchanges being cracked down on by the U.S. government. Those are the ones that are much more risky, in my opinion, than the Chinese exchanges, or at least the government risk. So, anyway, I think. I think we're good on the Chinese side for a little while. One of the biggest stories out there right now with Bitcoin is the hash rate. It is really just exploding right now. It went up 16% on the last difficulty change, or the difficulty went up 16%. Um, the hash rate is continuing to climb as we speak. I touched it at the beginning of the show. It's expected to go up 15% again on the next one as of right now. We'll see if that plays out. Um, but we haven't seen increases like this since um, February of 16. So we had this big, you know, we had spent most of 15 in this consolidation period for the price. Then when we broke out, we started seeing increases in the hash rate. And it doubled during the three months, November through January, or I guess November through uh, February, maybe December through February. We saw uh, a 100% increase in the hash rate. A lot of pent-up demand there. That makes sense. You know, miners are bidding for those low-cost coins. And also that was before the halvening happened. Uh, during this last uh, kind of, I almost want to call it an echo now, the high in June, um, I'm kind of seen as an echo. And that sounds weird to say, but um, we had this breakout at the beginning of 16. And it looked like we were going to do real well, uh, continue up. But then we had the Mike Hearn quit. Uh, and so we consolidated for another almost two months before this echo around the halvening happened. And so then we had this this uh, big spike in price around the halvening. And then we consolidated for another couple months and maybe three or four months until we started going up just this most recent increase and now this most recent increase is very similar to that very first one back in 15 when we broke out of that consolidation um, because the hash rate is following this um, and okay so a lot of people have this idea that hash rate is a floor on the price and i've even said that in the past too uh, more as a simplification of what's going on 
but um, that I want to explain that a little bit more here. So I think this idea comes from the gold world because there are a lot of gold bugs that are also interested in Bitcoin. And they say that, okay, if it takes $1,000 to get an ounce of gold out of the ground, then that's a kind of a floor on the price. The price can't fall below that, which is not true, but it, it makes more sense with gold because they're their uh, variable costs are going to be uh, lower anyway. Um, and they can't simply fire people this week and hire these people back or uh, turn off their big rigs and turn them back on next week, like mothball their factory or mo- mothball their manufacturer, whatever, refinery, and then turn it, everything back on the next week. But with Bitcoin, you can do that, right? You can dial back your uh, chips. from. You can overclock them when the price goes up, and you can dial them back when the price goes down. You can also take 10% of your miners offline and then turn them back on next week. It doesn't matter. So it's, the variable costs are a lot more fluid with Bitcoin, and uh, so that makes, that makes sense. Um, now... The the way I interpret this, uh, the hash rate, I interpret it as a bid. It's a bid for Bitcoin. We are all users. There there was some debate on Twitter from the Jihan, the guy from, uh, is he via BTC or uh, maybe he's the Bitmain guy. He hates freaking Segway. He hates Core. Like the, what? He is just as big of a problem as the one who will not be named on this show anymore who's running Bitcoin.com. But uh, so Gion said, hey, miners run the show. Users don't. And I responded, fucking miners are users, bro. What world are you living in? <laughs> you demand Bitcoin just like any other user for your own reasons. Everybody is a user. Everybody demands Bitcoin. And the hash rate is just a representation of a miner's bid for Bitcoin. That's what it is. Um, okay, so if the miners are bidding this, that gives us kind of an objective measure of the price. Uh, not a floor, but an objective measure of the price. At least an objective measure of the direction of price, right? Um, it's very hard to quantify exactly what it means, but you can say the trend definitely would hold uh, that the bid is going up by these miners. And, well, like, for instance, you know, there are increases in efficiency and things. But we're kind of stuck at, what is it, 16 nanometer uh, ASICs. So the improvements are going to come a little bit slower. We're going to have to get improvements from other things like cooling or, um, I don't know, uh, design of the facilities and things things like that. Maybe uh, more electricity cut uh, cost cutting. But uh, efficiency, increases in efficiency can explain some of this increase but not most of it you know maybe 25 percent of it is efficiency gains but 75 percent of this increase is just increased demand right these miners need to bid higher to get these bitcoins and there's going to be a small discount for them because they're putting all this work and trouble into getting these bitcoins it makes kind of sense that there would be a small discount. So the price on the exchange is going to be higher than the hash rate bid, but the hash rate bid includes all of this back work and securing the network and all of that. 
that that would be an interesting topic actually to think about fees, payment fees, and how much of that um, does or will make up for that um, kind of discount that the miners get. That would be pretty interesting because if if you if the fees start increasing as a percentage of your revenue for the miners, um, will that discount be kind of taken up by that fees? Probably. So the hash rate can g- continue to go up um, as uh, the price, the exchange's price, the market price uh, stays relatively stable. That that would be interesting research uh, topic if anybody out there is, is interested in that. Okay, so that's the story. The hash rate's going up, and uh, I think this signals that the this rally is not quite over. When we have like a hash rate of say two percent or one percent or even negative, uh, or a hash rate change, a difficulty change, then uh, that will to me will signal the end of the bull run. Okay, another part of this story is a lot. There's a conspiracy theory out there that some of this new hash power is unlimited attacking the network because their hash rate has been going up um, relative to the rest of the network. That is possible. Um, Maybe throughout 2016, like people like, well, the one who will not be named and (laughs) some other guys that are pushing for this unlimited thing. If they had spent the summer kind of accumulating hash power, without turning it on. I mean, that'd be expensive for them, right? And then now they're, they're turning this on. Uh, they're get, uh, paying their miners a 8% um, increase in whatever their revenue is out of the pocket of the one who will not be named. So they're wasting a lot of money. And they also have to corner the manufacturing. Uh, like, if you're trying to corner the manufacturing, that means you have to buy up all the ASICs while no one else can get any. And that would be noticed for sure. Um, and for sure reported on by people like Bitfury or something like that. So I don't think this is an attack. I think we would have more information if it were an attack. So uh, whatever. I don't think that Unlimited has legs. I still don't. No one wants Unlimited. And as soon, like, if we continue this rally and we go up to $2,000, um, there is going to be such demand out there for SegWit because we're going to want more block space. Right now, we can live with it. We are living with it. And that is what, to me, SegWit has kind of stalled at 25%. And I attribute that to um, being that we just don't, there's not demand out there yet for SegWit. But as we go up and up and up in price and there's more and more people, a bigger, bigger mempool um, backlog to these transactions, there is going to be demand, major, major demand from the users to increase or to adopt SegWit. That's that's my opinion. And I think we'll see how how that holds up. All right, that's all I have for this hash rate stuff. And the last piece of news I have here for... Um, the bits and pieces is a report from Brave New Coin or an article from Brave New Coin talking about this company GMO out of Japan. So this is another Japanese story. Um, <laughs> this this episode so far has been dominated by Chinese and uh, Japanese news. So, um, hey, I guess I have a title for this episode. All right, so I'm going to read right off this uh, article here on Brave New Coin. 
GMO Internet Group recently announced that they will be diving into the cryptocurrency industry, adding another wallet and exchange to the already competitive Japanese Bitcoin landscape. A new company founded specifically for this venture, GMO Wallet Company Limited, was founded in October. As the largest and most successful company in the country for both internet services and online securities trading, GMO could quickly become serious competition to the rest of Japan's Bitcoin industry. A little further down here, um, while estimating that the market size in Bitcoin for cryptocurrencies will grow to 1 trillion yen, or $8.7 billion in a few years. The main reason for the new venture cited is a recent improvement in the Japanese regulatory environment following several Bitcoin rulings from the Japanese government. So that's a pretty big uh, market, $8.7 billion in the next few years. So let's say two to three years, $8.7 billion just in Japan. That's gigantic. So... Another thing, yes, the Japanese environment, this is why I said that their regulatory environment is very friendly to Bitcoin. They have very connected individuals that have all the new technology and, and all this stuff. Their demographics are horrible. So all of their young people are should be looking for ways to hide their money so that they won't get taxed out the nose. I think all of these things are going to build into Japan being a real big player. So uh, check out that article. Altcoinville. Okay, Altcoinville. Um. If you guys have listened to some of my podcasts in the past, uh, I am not that friendly to altcoins. Um, and that's why I put this segment together, Altcoinville, because, I mean, there's so many unicorns out there that people are chasing. Um, it's it's almost like a fantasy land, right? And um, so, I, I mean, that's not to say that there aren't some worthwhile projects. I think um, even Ethereum is worthwhile okay but it's not worthwhile at a billion dollar market cap it's worthwhile at a maybe a 20 million dollar market cap or something like that so uh, that's that's my main contention is that all of these things are just going to blow up and fall apart um, and all of that people are going to be wrecked and I don't want to see people wrecked um, in the past, I have gone through um, altcoins and went through the charts and um, talked about them more. Uh, I will be doing that more in the future. I have some plans in that regard. Uh, but uh, for this uh, for this altcoinville, I'm just going to talk about one of the biggest developments. Well, I'm going to talk about two kind of big developments in altcoins. <laughs> uh You'll see what I mean when I, why it's funny when I get to my second one. First one is the Ethereum Classic ETF or Ethereum Classic investment vehicle that Barry Silbert's putting together. Um, his company, um, what the hell is it called? Uh, the Digital Currency Group. Um, they haven't invested in anything Ethereum. I, I think they did invest in the Ethereum Etherscan website, the Block Explorer thing. Um, 
but haven't invested in any like project or smart contract project or anything like that on Ethereum. So that shows me that he is somewhat, uh, <laughs> somewhat knowledgeable, somewhat rational. I mean, I know he is, uh, but that his investment choices here uh, speak for themselves. I also thought that his investment in Ethereum Classic was like a short-term trade, right? He wanted to be in and out within a couple weeks, but that never happened. Um, it turned into, I thought he was trolling the Ethereum community. <laughs> I mean, what what better way to troll than to put like a million dollars into a, a competitor or a hard fork of your project? So anyway... um. Now it's come out that he's taken some of that Ethereum Classic. I don't know if it's his or other stuff that he has acquired. Um, and they're going to be putting it into a trust. So they have the Bitcoin Investment Trust. Now they're going to have the Ethereum Investment Trust. It's actually pretty clever. Um, this guy knows what he's doing. Right after that was announced, it pumped up. I think it probably has more room to go. And uh, it could it could keep going up. I mean, it depends. I think he's they're they're quite a ways off of actually getting this uh to be tradable yet because I think the rules with these trusts and any listener that knows what's knows more about this uh correct me if I'm wrong that once you have ownership of one of these things like the Bitcoin investment trust you had to wait 12 months I think before you could sell them so it was only accredited investors uh and you had to wait 12 months before you could sell them. But once that 12 months got through, then you could trade them. And now it's, uh, I think after that, you might have to hold them for a certain period of time, maybe six months before you can sell them. So it's not very liquid, uh, but it is a way to buy uh, exposure to Bitcoin. And now it's a way to buy exposure to Ethereum Classic. I... I don't have too much to say about it because um, Ethereum is not going to last. Ethereum Classic, I think, has longer legs, especially now. Oh, one thing I wanted to say was um, Vitalik tweeted out about their all-time high hash rate. So they finally recovered from the hard fork, and now they just had a all-time high hash rate. And he's like, oh, this is so great. And I said something like, what are you like? celebrating burning all that energy i thought you were against that i thought you were against proof of work because he famously wants to go to proof of stake with ethereum um and of course he didn't respond i got a bunch of retweets on that so i know that he saw it uh, i just don't i i didn't expect him to answer it so anyways, um, ethereum classic they are going to do a fixed monetary policy like bitcoin that's plus They've also said that they have um, disabled their difficulty bomb. So to force Ethereum to go to proof of stake, uh, Vitalik coded in there a exponential difficulty increase. And it's going to make it basically impossible to mine it and or to use proof of work. You'll have to go to proof of stake at a certain point in the future. I think it's going to come this year. So we'll see. But Ethereum Classic has disabled that. So they disabled that and they also um, made um, limited supply or a fixed supply of Ethereum Classic. That's awesome. Those are the two biggest complaints I have about Ethereum. Um, other than, I guess you could say, like the actual core 
uh, thesis of Ethereum being Turing complete or sorry, Turing vulnerable. Um, and that I have a problem with, but you can't really help that at this point in Ethereum Classic. That's going to take a much longer time to weed through and see if they can fix, but, um, uh, maybe change languages somehow, but they're going down the right path here. At least they have good head on their shoulders. And so I can see why Barry Silver likes them and is promoting investment into Ethereum Classic. So that's all I have for Ethereum. Let's get on to the second story, and that is the <laughs> uh, altcoin called Bitcoin Unlimited. Now, there was a recent discussion where the chief scientist, quote-unquote chief scientist of Bitcoin Unlimited, Peter R., I'm not sure what his last name is, but I'm going to post a link to these um, this transcript of when he came into the core Slack and he was talking about supply, limited supply. I mean, they were talking about supply of coins and supply of block space. And in this kind of controversial statement that he made in there where he said that the limited or the fixed supply is not a core uh, feature I think that's what he said, core something, core feature of Bitcoin. And everyone's like, what, 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 what? It got a lot of, a lot of comments about that. Um, it's just crazy. And then they, he tried to save it saying, oh no, I was talking about the block space. The fixed block space is not in the core protocol, but they made a lot, uh, the core Slack guys are super sharp and they made a lot of, um, great points one of the greatest points in there was well that i thought was why is there a limit uh, of 32 megabytes on messages and the reason why is because you know spam protection so that was written in there from the beginning the block size cap came later but uh, you could say in there that um, now with that argument of the message cap size or size cap that it is inevitable to cap the block size. Um, and th that happened. Uh, we don't know what Satoshi was thinking, right? The only thing we know is what he wrote down. Um, but anyway, so another point I want to bring up about this whole thing is that they are so religious about Satoshi. Satoshi said this. Satoshi said that. We want the original Satoshi thing. Well, guess what? A lot of fucking stuff has changed since Satoshi left. Do you want to revert everything? Do you want to take out all of these advances over the last five years uh, to make it back into what Satoshi left us? That's a stupid, stupid argument. It's a religious argument. Um, the Satoshi to them is a religious figure. He's a god. That's very dangerous and very stupid. And, you know, they have to use religious arguments because they can't win on technical arguments. So they have to bring in the religion, uh, the belief, the reverence for the past and all these things because they can't compete on a technical, in a technical discussion. And almost all uh, of the Bitcoin Unlimited guys will say, I am not technical. Like Roger Ver, this Olivier guy, or a lot of these other people will say, I am not technical, but I support Bitcoin Unlimited. Um, almost like they wish 
these things into existence and they just fucking happen. Okay. I agree that if we could go back in time, we should uh, make the block size cap maybe four megabytes or something or eight. I wish we could go back in time and do that, but we can't. This is the Bitcoin that we have. If you want to change, if you want a hard fork to Bitcoin Unlimited, you're creating an altcoin. That's why I put this in the altcoinville. So you're creating an altcoin and you just want to call it Bitcoin. But the true Bitcoin will continue on. It's not like you can, anybody can stop Bitcoin. It'll, somebody will keep mining it and it'll keep going. Um, and nobody's going to fork over to Bitcoin Unlimited either. They have a few ideologues on top that are running the show and having all this mining power. And I haven't heard a single other person besides Jihan Wu and Roger Ver that say that they are mining Bitcoin Unlimited. I see that some numbers from other miners, but I don't see any statements from them, right? So it could be all them. And if they want to talk about decentralization and, and uh, Bitcoin, then they need to say, well, hey, should we really fork if we're the only fucking miners that are going to fork? If they get 20% of the network and they have 20% of the network, these two dudes, and they fork off, that's two guys having the entire network now, the entirety of the new network. So... I'm not really worried about them getting to 51%. I'm not worried about uh, losing the technical debate to Bitcoin Unlimited. Uh, they play the victim like crazy. You know, oh, woe is me. I'm censored. I'm beaten down. Core is such an evil empire. Blah, 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 blah. It's just a victim, victim role. Making us feel guilty that Core is oppressing them when nobody fucking cares. And I guarantee you nobody cares other than maybe a handful of people. Anyway, okay. Um, so <laughs> that's why I put this in the altcoinville section because, god damn it, they're going to make an altcoin. And I think, honestly, at this point, I think they are going to. Um, if they get down, if they get up to 20% or even if they start falling down to, say, 5 or 10%, they're going to fork eventually. That's my opinion. Because they don't give a shit. They are either, they either want to take over Bitcoin or destroy Bitcoin. Those are the two things they want to do. Take over Bitcoin or destroy Bitcoin. And so if you ever um, have like <laughs> any run-ins with these Bitcoin Unlimited people, just ask them that question. Like, are you trying to take over Bitcoin or are you trying to destroy Bitcoin? Which is it? Which do you associate with or identify with? Um, anyway, okay. That's it for all Coinville, guys pretty short let's get on to the next segment featured article today's featured article is by coinjournal.net this is actually a featured article usually i do um a featured topic. I'm probably going to have to change the name of this segment. But uh, okay, so from Coin Journal, there was a article on the 17th of January, and it's called 
Bitcoin is eating the entire online gambling industry. Uh, in here, they have uh, they quote heavily from Calvin Ayer. He's really big up in the online gambling world. Uh, he started Bodog. If you guys are familiar with that site, it's uh, he's an industry innovator, a leader in the industry, and he has a blog post that they quote from. Uh, let me just read the quotes uh, as they appear on Coin Journal and uh, go from there. Okay, mark my words. Bitcoin is eventually going to eat the whole global online gambling industry, and the first courses of this meal are already being digested. Quite apart from liberating gambling sites from the anti-competitive dictates of government-imposed payment blocking, the blockchain technology underpinning Bitcoin is rapidly making the role of gaming regulators obsolete. Air went as far as to hint that online gambling operators should store some of their capital in Bitcoin. Quote, with its finite volume hardwired into the technology, Bitcoin is increasingly viewed as a safe haven more akin to gold than the highly speculative investment it once was. And operators who store their loot on the blockchain will find themselves with extra capital to fuel expansion plans. End quote. Exactly, man. You, If you hold a little bit of your money in Bitcoin, if your gambling site's making a million dollars a year, and you hold, say, a hundred thousand of that revenue throughout the year in Bitcoin. By the end of the year, you're going to have two hundred thousand. That that's going to be two hundred thousand worth. And then you're going to be able to pay your developers and you know um, X Y Z in Bitcoin. It's going to add. It's going to stimulate this economy. And but the main point here is that it is taking over the online gambling industry and. Nothing could be more bullish. One of my main points here with gambling and uh, all Bitcoin use cases as they stand right now is that whether you like these activities or not, okay, Bitcoin is being used for some primary roles in society. Primary. Gambling, sex work, so prostitution and online porn sites, stuff like that, sex work stuff, and drugs. And those are the most formative industries in a society, like it or not. And I try to point out to people that drugs are sold to cure illnesses. I mean, look at marijuana now even. It has been touted as this huge social evil and it's evil. You're an evil person if you like to smoke dope. But now it's going to be, I mean, the medical uh, uses of marijuana are exploding. And that aspirin that's in your cupboard, that's a drug. Your ibuprofen, your amoxicillin, all of those are drugs. Drugs as a term, they are a foundational uh, or drugs as an industry is a foundational industry in our society, period, end of story. And so is sex work. Sex work goes back, uh, you know, they say it's the first profession or it's the earliest profession. It is foundational. And so is gambling. I mean, gambling has been going on probably as long as sex work has. And maybe drugs is even before that with the shamans and, and all that. I mean, these are found, these are things that our society is built on. And governments don't want to lose control of that. Right? I mean, if you have a currency that's used for those three industries, 
oh my God, you, you are going to be the medium of exchange, period. Because those are so foundational to the fabric of life. It cannot be overstated. The, it is so huge that Bitcoin is used for those specific industries. I mean, if, if you told me that Bitcoin had, uh, some foothold in flowers, I, I always think of like the tulip bulb thing. Cause that's everyone talks about Bitcoin and, and being like the tulip bubble. Um, if you told me that Bitcoin was used by florists, no one would give a shit. And it wouldn't mean anything. But when you tell me that Bitcoin is used for, well, another type of floors, marijuana growers, or uh, for drugs in general, that is gigantic. If you tell me that Bitcoin is used for gambling, gigantic. The only other industry that I can think of off the top of my head that would be as foundational would be energy, right? Like, if you could tell me that the Bitcoin is used to trade energy, whoa. And there are things out there that are trying to do like grid, um, you know, where you can buy and sell energy uh, credits or whatever with a uh, cryptocurrency type token. Um, I don't know. Those aren't very uh, valid to me, but they're out there. People are trying to do it. And if if Bitcoin starts being used to buy energy, especially on a national level or something like that, um, I mean, Iran has sold oil for gold, right? So, uh, I can see people buying and selling oil for Bitcoin because it can't be controlled by, um, FinCEN and, and the, the SWIFT network and, and all of this stuff. So as soon as Bitcoin takes over the oil industry, that's the only one missing out of these three. Um, gambling, sex work and drugs and oil <laughs> or energy. Um, governments know that they can't root out this activity completely. They want to earn money off of it. You know, they, they, they've had the drug war for how many decades now in the U.S.? And they haven't done anything. All they've done is make money off of it. It's an excuse to tax you and have uh, a huge bloated bureaucracy and multiple three-letter agencies all around freaking the drug war it gives excuse for local police departments to plus up their numbers and become more powerful it gives them excuse to get into your privacy more they also make money on the back end when they arrest you and put you in prison because of the prison industrial complex it is a huge money maker they know they will never root it out because drugs are a foundation of our society it's it sounds bad to say that. I mean, it doesn't sound like you, a topic you would talk about in polite society, right? But drugs are foundational to our society. Think about alcohol, right? That's a drug. Wars have been fought over alcohol. Alcohol's paid for salaries and all that stuff. It's even saved people's lives. I mean, it's killed a lot of people too, but it's, um, I always think, uh, I spent some time in Italy, um, whatever, studying Renaissance stuff. And, you know, when they paid people, uh, or when the workers were working on those, uh, great cathedrals and, um, architecture and all that stuff, they, part of their salary was beer because that's what the water they had to drink was 
very diluted beer, like uh, one third or something of what we have now. That's what they would drink for water because it was more sterile or sterilized in the process. So, um, you know, it, it's it's foundational to our society. Drugs serve a very important role to human beings. Um, and they know that they can't root out drugs especially when they're the biggest drug pushers in the world. Look at Big Pharma, right? Um, and all their cartel connections and stuff. But it's just an excuse. And if you add into this drug war, there's a war on gambling. Yes, and there's a war on sex work. And those things you will never be able to root out, ever. But what they want, you know, is to make money off of it. They want to license it. They want to control it themselves. That's what governments want. And uh, they were able to do that because the medium of exchange was under their control. But now if you, if you unleash these primitive primary industries in the world and use them, uh, they use Bitcoin, my God, you can build a medium of exchange from that. And recently people have been selling oil for gold like Iran. What's to stop them from doing that with Bitcoin? Nothing. And when they when Bitcoin is eats away at the foundation, that's one of my primary kind of themes of my thesis here on Bitcoin is that it eats away at the underpinnings. It's very active. And you know, you can juxtapose that against gold. Gold is not a weapon. It does not eat away at at the underpinnings of society. Online gambling, gambling, sex workers, they're not going to be trading in gold and silver. I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. They will with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an active weapon. And um, if you guys know uh, the renegade investor, I think it's uh, Sharky Bit or something like that on Twitter. I'll link him in the show notes. You know, he has a lot of great predictions for the future. He, I think he has clear vision of what's coming over the next 12 months. And um, he had a tweet. This is a common saying that I've even said in the past, a weapon of mass financial destruction. And that's what Bitcoin is. But he was saying that this is going to save a lot of people. And I said, well, hey, maybe it's a, a weapon of mass financial salvation. And I, I think that sums it up pretty well. It is a weapon. That's going to just eat away at the foundations of the global financial system. And gold cannot do that. Gold will ride on Bitcoin's coattails. I'm sorry. That's the fucking fact. They are able to suppress gold because it's physical. That is the Achilles heel of gold. And, and I've said this. Maybe I'm becoming a broken record, but... The physical nature is the drawback of gold. It used to be seen as the strength because it was the thing that provided the scarcity. But now that you don't have to rely on the scarcity, physical scarcity, um, the physical nature of gold is a drawback. Um, Bitcoin is active. It's being used out there to undermine these systems. Um, it is a weapon on all of these social wars out there, the drug war, the gambling war, the sex worker war. And pretty soon it's going to be used in the energy war. So I got to this place by talking about the gambling industry and how Bitcoin is taking over online gambling. Basically, uh, this, this, uh, Calvin Air, I linked to his blog in the show notes as well. Um, 
Let's see what he says. Um, it's rapidly making the role of gaming regulators obsolete, but it's also, I mean, it's also making the role of drug regulators obsolete and pornographer regulations obsolete uh, or prostitution regulation and all of these things. It's Bitcoin is making these regulators obsolete, period, dot, end of story. I love the way he said that. So more power to all of these gambling sites are using Bitcoin. I wish them the greatest success. Um, I'm going to put a uh, affiliate link in the show notes for Nitrogen Sports. If you guys haven't used them before, uh, check them out. That is a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at the new Patreon page. Uh, link for that will be in the show notes. Also, you can take a look at the website, BitcoinandMarkets.com. I have all the old episodes and and uh, a few blog posts and everything you need to follow the show there. Um, if you want to contact me, you can do so on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. Or the show also has a uh, Twitter that I just do mainly article links uh, for my listeners. And that's BTCMRKTS, Bitcoin and Markets on Twitter. See you next time. Peace.